0: Amen. Let me <clears throat> invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 17, 18, and 19, in a message entitled, Generosity with a capital G. Generosity with a capital G. Tanya has a hobby, one of her hobbies is shopping at Hobby Lobby. She called me the other day from Hobby Lobby and said, Hey, I found this cute $100 snowman. Is he made out of snow? $100 snowman. And then I remembered what David Green, the CEO of Hobby Lobby, has made it a practice with his company that they give away 50% of pre-tax profits. 50% they give away to this whole portfolio of evangelical ministries. So $50 of that $100 snowman uh, went to kingdom work of our Lord Jesus. I probably shouldn't have said that. That gave Tanya some more ammo, doesn't it? And he writes about this generosity that his family, this this aggressive, laser-focused, Uh, family generosity strategy. He writes about it in a book he wrote called Giving It All Away and Getting It All Back Again. I wonder if he's aware that uh, that the Greer family really helps the Green family get it all back again every time we go to Hobby Lobby. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, 18, and 19. Paul, the apostle, through the Holy Spirit, lays out a very laser-focused strategy of generosity. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. And I want you to understand that in this text, Timothy is writing to those who are already rich. Back in verse 9 and 10, he writes about those who desire to be rich and the pitfalls of that desire. And what can happen if you fall into that trap of, of, of pursuing riches for the sake of pursuing riches? And now he addresses those who are already rich. Verse 17, verse 18, and verse 19. So let's see what Paul the Apostle has to say and what the Holy Spirit has to say to us, his church. Verse 17, if you're there, say, I'm there. Here we go, church. Look at this. As for the rich in this present age, that means the the present world today, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We pray that we would receive your word and respond to it. And God, my prayer is that you would search our hearts today. You would examine our hearts and make known to us in these moments we have together today. Make it known to us what areas of our heart, of our mind, of our soul, of our life where we are stingy. What areas are we not generous in? God, I pray you'll bring those to the surface and help us repent of that and and help us adopt this strategy of generosity with a capital G. We ask it in Jesus' name and everybody said amen. So here's our takeaway today out of these three verses in this text. What you give away for God never goes away for good. What you give away to the kingdom of God never goes away. What you give away to the building of His church never goes away. What you give away for God never goes away. It never goes away. It is an investment in eternal things. It's an investment in His kingdom. And we're going to see just how richly this investment will pay off. So here's the first challenge. I want to challenge you to give the big G God a try. Aren't you tired of giving all these little G gods a try? Aren't you tired of giving religion a try? Aren't you tired of giving moralism a try? Aren't you tired of giving materialism a try? Aren't you tired of giving all these other isms and ideologies this world throws at us a try? Isn't it time to give the big G God a try? And that's what Paul's focus here is on verse 17. To put your hope in God. Not on all these little G's around the world today. But to put your hope in and on God. Well, why should I think about trying the big G God? Well, Paul tells us here. Look at verse 15. In verse 16, he begins to tell us who God is. And here's what he says about our God. Verse number 15, he is the blessed and only sovereign. He alone is always over everything. He's sovereign over it all. He's always in control. There's never a time when he's not in control. There's never a time when he's not sovereign. He alone is sovereign. Then he goes on and says this about our God. The king of kings and lord of lords. In other words, our God is unmatched. He has no rival. His reign cannot be thwarted. He's too powerful to be taken out. He has no rivals. His kingdom is unmatched. And then it reads this way, verse 16. Who alone has immortality listen to the words like only sovereign alone has immortality he is immortal all other beings are mortal only two things exist for all of eternity that are on this earth today that is the souls of men and the word of God they will last forever with God in heaven forever those who trust and honor him those who do not and reject him they will also live forever but in a place opposite of heaven the place called hell But our God is the God. He alone holds the keys of death and Hades. He alone is immortal. And then it says this about our God, who dwells in unapproachable light. I mean, think about that. He he alone is holy. You can't just nonchalantly approach our God. You can't get to God on your own merit or your own good works or the way you want to do it. There's only one way you can get to God the Father, and that is through God the Son. Otherwise, He's unapproachable. But the grace of God, the good news, the gospel, the generosity of our God says that He has made a way. He has opened up the doors of access to Himself through His Son, Jesus. I can't think of a more generous act and under heaven given among men, women, boys and girls, then our God giving access to himself through his only son. Man goes on to say this about our God, that whom no one has ever seen or can see. He is beyond space, beyond time, he's immortal. He's beyond what we could ever think or even imagine. To him be honor and eternal dominion Amen. I mean, Paul just has a fit here. Worshiping the God for who he is. And based on that, on who God is, then he can give us this charge in verse number 17. And the charge is for us to give the big G God a try. And and here's the charge. Look what the Bible says, verse 17. As for the rich, somebody say rich. rich. In this present age, now, well, that begs a question, doesn't it? Who's rich, then? Who, who are the rich, right? Well, from an American perspective, you might not qualify as the top 1% of the top 1% of the most wealthy in the world, from America's perspective. But from the biblical perspective, it's different. The biblical concept of rich is having more than the mere essentials. For example, if you have more clothes than what you're currently wearing on your body— you're rich if you've got a closet at home with clothes in it you're rich if you've had leftover turkey this week you're rich anybody have a turkey sandwich turkey quesadilla turkey soup turkey omelet anything turkey I pray you've had nothing ham only turkey but if you've had any leftovers you're rich If you have got a place to lay your head you're rich why? But, I mean, remember, God taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But if you've got a place to store food for the next day and the next day and the next day, then you're rich. According to Scripture, that means we all qualify as rich. It means we would all qualify from the biblical concept of being rich. So, in other words, you can't zone out on this message, this includes you. You can't say, well, I don't qualify as rich, this isn't for me. No, this is for all of us. As for the rich in this present age meaning in this world today meaning from a materialistic perspective not a spiritual perspective we all in Christ have riches that we can never imagine in the spiritual realm this is talking about materially speaking on this earth in this present age as for the rich look what it says charge them not to be haughty so again Paul is not condemning the rich for being rich. <laughs> He's not canceling the rich. Everybody wants to cancel everybody today, right? Well, Paul isn't, doesn't say cancel the rich. He doesn't say condemn the rich. He doesn't say command the rich to empty themselves of their riches and, and, and take on a vow of poverty. That is not what the gospel teaches. Paul is not teaching that they should be condemned or commanded to empty themselves of their riches and live a life of poverty. Paul is saying, hey, they're rich. And because they're rich, there's some dangers they need to avoid. So he gives them an order, an instruction, a charge. And he charges them not to be haughty, not to be arrogant, not to be prideful, not to have an exalted view of oneself. Not to have a, 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 a regard as oneself as better than anyone else. Not to be lofty in mind. Not to be conceited. It's so difficult to be rich as we are and to stay humble. Man, when you don't need anything, that's easy to get prideful and arrogant and conceited. It's, it's hard to be rich and to be humble all at the same time. That's a difficult task. We see it all through the Gospels. We see the rich young ruler who approached Jesus. He came to the right person, and he asked the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he got the right answer. He was given the, the commandments, and he said, hey, I've done all this. He said, well, there's one thing you like. You've got to go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. See, the issue wasn't that he was rich, and he had to get rid of his rich riches. The issue was his wealth was keeping him from following Jesus. So you go get rid of that, which is keeping you from following Jesus. Then you come follow me. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful for he had great wealth. He could not get to the place where he would humble himself and come to Jesus. He couldn't get there. Why? Because his wealth was in the way. It is hard, it is difficult for those who are well off like you and me to stay humble. That's not easy to do. We can easily wander off into pride and be arrogant. But here's what the Bible says in Proverbs twenty-eight, eleven. A rich man, though he's wise in his own eyes, a poor man who has understanding will find him out. The Bible over and over again, it champions humility over pride. Time and time again. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the who? To the humble. He gives grace to the humble. The Bible says humble yourself. Think of Jesus and what he did. He owns everything, everything. And in Philippians 2, it tells us that he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. Being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that came through his humility. Not his pridefulness and arrogance and conceit. He would have never laid down his life for us. Had it not been for humility. That's the way of the cross. The Bible continues to champion humility over pride. And the danger for the rich, for you and me, is to lean into our pridefulness. And lean into our gold rather than to leaning into God. And it's hard to be wealthy and remain humble. And so he starts off with that danger. Charge them not to be haughty. Secondly, look at this. Not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Wow, set your hopes. Hang your hat of hope. Don't hang it on something that's uncertain. And I don't know if you realize this, but money is so uncertain. It goes so fast. It disappears. It's gone. If you don't believe me, get married. It's gone. It goes so fast. Maybe from a bad investment. Maybe from a swindler or somebody who steals it from you. Maybe a market crash. But in an instant, it can be gone. Think about the dollar today. And what's the dollar worth today? I saw some time ago, somebody showed me a, a dollar bill that was a silver certificate. You remember those? You could take it in the bank and get a piece of silver. Good luck with that today, huh? It's fading away. It's uncertain. It's uncertain. Don't hang your hat of hope on the uncertainty of riches. We see the rich man in Luke 16 hung his whole hope, hung, hung his life on his own riches and when he died, he immediately woke up in hell. Boy, don't you think that was a wake-up call? Wow! Now, I think about the, 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 the rich Man in, in Luke 12 who was who was counting his he was counting, literally counting his money when eternity sounded the bell in his own soul. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his very soul? So this placing one's hope in riches, this is the whole definition of materialism. What is materialism? Materialism is not having stuff, materialism is the stuff having you. You put your hope in the stuff you have. That means the stuff has you. That is materialism. And this whole pandemic of the monster of more that we're dealing with. I need more and more and more and more. This monster of more. This pandemic of materialism. The only vaccine for that pandemic is giving. The only antidote to materialism is giving. Is loosely holding what you have. Not tightly holding on to what you have there's some myths about stuff and having stuff and the myths are these the more things I have the more happiness I have false the more things I have the more importance I have false the more things I have the more security I have false the Bible says this whoever trusts in his riches will fall but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf do not toil to acquire wealth be discerning enough to desist when your eyes light on it it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven I've never heard a person on their deathbed say, oh God thank you for all my money Billy Graham used to say it all the time I, I, I've never seen an armored truck carrying money following a hearse never seen it. how many times when people die we ask the question, maybe we don't say it out loud maybe we do but we wonder and we think, I wonder how much they left behind. Whether they had much or whether they had little. We think, I wonder how much money they left behind. Can I tell you, they left all of it behind. All of it. Whatever all of it was. Don't hang your hope in your, on, on riches that are uncertain. What a strong word here from Paul and the Holy Spirit. But look what we're to set our, rich, set our hope on. Look at this. Look at verse 17. But on God. But on God. On God. Set your hope in and on Him. Here's what Paul's getting at. And Paul lived this out. He he lived it. He said, I count everything as loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He counted it all a loss because he gained God. For Paul, God was gained. God is game. We need more of God, amen? We need more of the giver, not the gifts. We need more of the provider, not the provisions. We need more of the almighty, not more of the almighty dollar, but on God. It doesn't say to set their hopes on God and money. You You cannot serve both God and money. You'll be devoted to one, you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't set your hope on God. And here's why we don't do that. I'm convinced. Because then he tells us who God is. Look at the last part of verse 17. Who richly provides us. Not meagerly provides us. Not merely provides us. Not hesitantly provides us. But richly provides, not poorly provides us. But this God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. See, the reason we don't hang our, our hat on the hope of God, the reason we're so prone to hang it on, on materialism or moralism or religion, or we're so prone to hang it on this relationship or that relationship or this situation or that circumstance and not hanging on God, we don't know who God is. We don't understand who God is. He richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy what he's given you. All good gifts come from him. Not not, not that we won't enjoy it, but that we'll enjoy it. Everything to enjoy. God is not some, uh, he's not a stingy God. He's a gracious God. He's a generous God. He's not some cosmic killjoy floating around in the universe and every time you have any bit of joy, he he, he crushes it. That's not who God is. He lavishly, richly provides us everything to enjoy. And Paul says, give this big G God a try. Some of you have yet to do that. You're still giving all these little G gods a try, and you can't find satisfaction anywhere. There's a reason. Your hope needs to be set on God, the big G, not the little G. Have you ever thought about where you place your security? How how can you know where you really, I mean, you may say you place your security in the Lord, but where do you really set it? You know, there's a simple question you can ask to, to, to help you decide, okay, where am I putting my, my security in this situation that I'm in? Where am I putting my security? And the simple answer is the answer to this question. What are you most insecure about? That is where you place your security. What is it that you're most insecure about? See, we say we don't put our hope in our stuff, but the, but the the thought of giving our stuff away raises all these insecurities in our heart and we realize, man, I'm putting my security in this stuff. When the gospel says, no, no, no. Put it in and on God. Give the big G God a try. He's big enough to handle what you have and don't have. So give him a try second charge here by Timothy is verse, or by Paul to Timothy, is verse 18. Look at verse 18. Give generosity with a capital G a try. I love verse 18 because it's like, I'm going to tell you until you get it kind of sentence. I'm going to tell you this until you get it kind of verse. Because look at what he says. They're to do good, okay? (laughs) What does that mean? It means to be rich in good works. What does that mean? To be generous. What are you getting at? You need to be ready to share. Are you getting this? Are you picking up what God's putting down here? Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous. Be ready to share. Give generosity with a capital G a try. Give it a try. You know, we had last week on our chat, uh, people worshiping with us online, a lady was thanking the church for making turkeys available the week before Thanksgiving because she said, if, if it not for your church, I would not, we would not have had a turkey this year. And in that moment, one of our church members who was working the chat entered a conversation with her and said, hey, do you have all the other stuff you need for Thanksgiving? Anything else you need? Any side you need? Anything you need? What a great opportunity to minister in the moment and to be generous. And because of your generosity, we gave away over 500 turkeys to people who really needed a turkey. We have several other testimonies I could share with you, but we got this idea for the turkeys because one, you've just been so generous in your giving to benevolence. It's been one of the best last couple of years in our benevolent offering that we've ever had. So thank you and continue to be generous because we're going to give away, uh, we have the ability because you've been so generous. We're going to try to give away 500 turkeys at Christmas as well. So thank you for being Generous, but where did the idea come from? The idea came from Bill Harvey. Bill had the idea to give the turkeys away, and I asked Bill where he got this uh, idea. And here's what he told me: This, if you don't know Bill Harvey, he's a no nonsense kind of guy, right? Ex military man, rough and tough, hard nosed military, black and white Bill Harvey, right? I said, Bill, where'd you get the idea to? This, is what he, told me. he he was watching the Hallmark Channel. The Hallmark Channel. What is this man among men doing watching the Hallmark Channel? And he said he saw, got the idea. Now he'll tell you that he was passing by through the kitchen and the Hallmark Channel was on. Yeah, right, Bill. I don't believe that he was watching the Hallmark Channel. Come on. Paul says here, listen, you're to do good. If you're going to practice generosity with a capital G, you need to do good. And the word here in the Greek is one word. Here it's five words, but in the Greek it's one word. And the word is used elsewhere to talk about God showering good gifts on his people. So that's the idea. To shower good gifts that God has given to you onto other people. To to be excellent and noble in, in the giving and the generosity in your heart and in your life. To take what God has given you And give it away. Bless others. And he doesn't stop there. He says, be rich in good works. Not poor in good works, but rich. What does your good works portfolio look like? Are you rich? Are you investing? Are you rich in good works? If we were to pull out your portfolio of good works as a follower of Christ, would we say, wow, they're rich. That portfolio's rich. Now again, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are not saved by works. In Ephesians 2, it talks to us about that and tells us that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we're saved by grace. And this is not of works, that no one can boast. But then immediately it begins to talk to those who are a part of the church, those who have come to faith in Christ by grace alone, and says, hey, there's work to do. There's work. The word uses workmanship. Hey, there's works to do. That we're saved not by works. We're saved to works. We're saved for works. Not by them. And so your portfolio of good works, what does it look like? Hey, think about all that it could encompass. What is included in being rich in good work? Well, man, it's countless. I mean, You just name something. Prayer. When you pray for somebody, when you take the time to ask somebody, in what way can I pray for you? And you pray for them. You're being generous with your time. You're being generous with your prayers. And that goes into your portfolio of good works. When when, when you send a note of encouragement, a text message, email, some kind of note of encouragement to encourage somebody, that's being generous. That's being rich in good works. When when you provide child care for a young couple to go out on a date night, I'm sure we got plenty of them in our church that would love a date night, and you provide child care, you're being generous with your time. Amen? When you have a conversation with somebody about the gospel, you're being generous with the greatest gift you've ever been given, the hope you have in Christ. Your testimony, when you share that, you're being generous. You're pointing people to the Christ who saved you. You're being generous. When you prepare a meal for someone who's sick or at home or in the hospital or the family's at home and a loved one's in the hospital, you, that's generous. You don't want a meal prepared by me. But many of you are really good at preparing meals. That's a really good way you can be rich in good works. When you foster care a child or adopt a child, that is again, and, and there's, we could go on and on and on. Rich in good works for the sake of Christ so we're to do good be rich in good works look at this one, to be generous and ready to share Uh, to be generous with your time, to be generous with your talents, to be generous with your gifts, to be generous with the stuff God's given you and be ready to share, open your home up that's something God's given you, open it up and invite people in and Feed them and point them to Christ and use what God has given you to be generous to the people He's put in and around your life. You know, I read the other day during the Great Depression that Americans during that time gave away 3% of their income or 3% of what they had to charity during the Great Depression. Today, Americans give 2.1% to charity below what Americans gave during the Great Depression. Something's wrong with that. Huh? The art of generosity is disappearing. This gift of generosity that God has given us. Man, we should be the most generous people on planet Earth. As the church, there should be nobody as generous as followers of Christ. George Mueller said it like this, God judges what we give By what we keep. Here's the third challenge. Uh, Give gaining with an uppercase G a try. Give gaining with an uppercase G a try. See, the gospel is you gain by losing. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? What do you mean? I gain by losing. Exactly. That's the gospel. That Paul counted everything a loss. And he put his resume in there. I mean, he put his resume in there. He's a Pharisee among Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He just went through his resume. He says, I count all of that as garbage. Garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That God is our gain. And we gain by losing. Maxie German, this was a very prominent Christian businessman years ago. Gave away millions through his lifetime to to the cause of Christ. Just gave millions away to the kingdom work. One day he lost everything. I mean, he lost it all. Terrible financial collapse. He lost everything he had. And he was asked by a friend one time if he regretted giving away all those millions. Do you regret giving away all the... If you hadn't given all that away, you'd have some of it today. Do you regret giving all that away? Here's what he said. No, 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 no. I only lost what I kept for myself. I only lost what I kept for myself. Why? Because he understood the concept of kingdom giving. He understood. He understood the concept of kingdom economy. That is, what you give away, it never goes away. What you give away for God never goes away. What you give away for the kingdom, it never goes away. And here's how 19, verse 19 says it. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves. You hear that? Be generous, ready to share. Give, give, give. Be rich in good works. Be generous, ready to share. And What's going to happen? You're storing up treasure. You're amassing a fortune in heaven. You're accumulating a fortune in heaven. You're storing up treasure in heaven. You're storing it up. You know, you've seen this. I, I've seen it too. You drive around, you see new construction here, new construction there. Maybe residential and bigger houses or bigger apartment complex or bigger assisted living places. You drive around, see some commercial buildings going up. What is that? These storage units. Storage units everywhere. Why do we have storage units? Why are we storing everything up? Yes, we're not told here, don't store up treasure for yourself. We're told store it up, just not here. Store it up there. Where it lasts, where it won't rust, where hurricane won't come through and blow it away, where people won't break in and steal where it won't rust, stored up in heaven, where moss and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Store up treasure in eternity. I was thinking about this this morning, thinking about the different expressions of generosity through the New Testament. I think about Joseph. Think about this guy named Joseph. Obviously, he was thinking about his own death and his family and where he would lay his bones where his family would lay his bones and so he went and purchased a, a garden tomb he bought it for himself and his family and they wouldn't have to worry about any of that and then he became a follower of Jesus and then his acquaintance friend Nicodemus also became a follower of Christ and upon Jesus' death they got together and Nicodemus said I'll get all the uh, you know the spices for burial I'll take care of that and Joseph said well you know I have a tomb I'll give that tomb to Jesus Man, you talk about an investment you talk about getting a return on your investment giving that to Jesus and he only needed it a couple of days amen <laughs> because he came out of that tomb the resurrect, what a miracle think about the miracles God can do when we're generous and just give him what we have and think about how he can use that Who, Joseph never it probably never crossed his mind that this was going to be written down for us to read some 2,000 years later when we get to heaven be able to talk to him about giving his, his tomb away wow Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Joseph took hold of that which was truly life. And what does that mean? Taking hold of that which is truly life. Taking hold of the Lord Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, the satisfaction. Everything you've been looking for is found in the person of Christ. Jesus is generous, He's a generous Savior, He is gracious and merciful to save use what God has given you to invest in the kingdom in the lives of people in the building of his church you know here at at Red Bank when it comes to finances we've got four buckets you can give to we've got the general offering which by the way God's been gracious as you've been generous and we're tracking this year more than we're ahead of where we were last year at this time, and last year was a record year. And so, hey, don't hear me incorrectly. We are blessed. God has blessed this church through your generosity. So, that's one of our buckets. It is the general offering. Scripture's pretty clear on bring the tenth to the storehouse. We tithe on that amount, and anything over and above that, you got some other buckets you can give to the World Missions Offering. Great bucket to give to as we support international, national missionaries around the world. We support them and even out of that fund helps our folks go on the mission field. That's a great bucket to give to. We have the benevolence offering which has never been higher than it's been the last couple of years because again you've been so generous and we've been able to do things we would not be able to do without your generosity. So thank you for being generous. And then we have the red letters offering. This is like a old-timey, time, old a building fund kind of thing, capital special projects. The renovations that we did recently up on the mountain and some renovation here, but it wasn't a lot here, mostly up there on the mountain. A couple of months ago, that figure was right at $800,000 today. That debt that we owe is under $600,000, 596000 uh, 60, uh, 630 and 66 cents. So God is knocking that out because of your generosity. And I want to challenge you to give to that. Now that, that debt is not tied to the school or academy that we're uh, pursuing really in any way. There's no really ties there. There is, however, an opportunity on the mountain to have a student area. I was talking with an investor who invests in uh, property downtown in Chattanooga. And he said, look, if you're going to invest in the next generation, if, if you have to have appropriate space for the next generation. Well, up on Signal Mountain, we just don't have that appropriate space for our middle schoolers and high schoolers, and we need that. And so that's going to be part of the next project. Well, to get to that project, we've got to get this debt paid down. So I'm challenging you in the month of December to give above and beyond. Ask, just ask God, God, what would you have me give to pay down the debt that we currently have on part of this campus and mostly up there? Just ask the Lord what he would have you do, and be faithful to that. Be generous as our God is generous. And just ask Him. That's none of my business. That's between you and the Lord. And you ask Him that. And you be faithful in how He answers you. And think about being generous, not only with your money. Think about being generous with your time. Think about being generous with your talents, with your service. Some of you are gifted in, in areas we need people to serve in and you've not plugged in yet. So find out where those are. Come talk to me or one of our staff and find out, hey, where can I get plugged in and serve? Be generous with your service and your time. Be generous with your talents. Be generous with your gifts. When we think about generosity, the greatest expression of generosity the world has ever known is John 3.16. We don't need to go anywhere else but John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he what, church? Did he take? Did he hoard? Did it say, for God so loved the world that that he hoarded his son or he hid his son? That God so loved the world that he held back his son? No, it said he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. What better expression of generosity is that? That he gave Jesus as, as, as an infant. He gave him. Think about that. What is more vulnerable than a newborn? Some of you are in the medical field. Some of you maybe even delivered babies or certainly cared for newborns. And what's more vulnerable than a newborn? I can't think of anything more vulnerable than a newborn. Yet Christ came not as a man, not as an angel. He came as a, a babe wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Wow. Talk about being generous, emptying himself, not counting equality with God, something to understand or grasp, but made himself nothing. Took on the form of a servant, being found in human likeness. He humbled himself, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Generously took on our shame and our guilt and our sin and took it to the cross generously poured out his blood, generously said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, generously gave up his spirit, generously laid down his life for you and for me. See, part the other side of generosity is you've got to receive it. You've got to take hold of that which is truly life. You've got to take hold of that which is truly life. You've got to take hold of that which is truly life. You have to receive a gift. There's a gift under the tree this year with your name on it. Are you just going to ignore that through the Christmas seed and not, not open the present? Are you going to open it? Are going to receive it or just, you're going to receive it? There's a gift with your name on it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that, who, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. You have to receive it. Generosity is a two-way street. You've got to receive it. Have you done that? I pray if you haven't, today you will. If you've done that, then I'm asking the Holy Spirit to examine all of our hearts and show each of us, God, what area of my life am I being stingy in? What area of my life am I failing to be generous? And have Him reveal that to you and confess that and give that to Him.